wonderful to receive a prophetic word, and corporately it's wonderful to re receive pre prophetic words, but how are we going to move into the fullness of that? And I want to encourage you that um, God has set us free. We've been looking at that for many, many months now. God has set us free, and the book of Galatians is really that book of freedom. He's called us out of slavery into this, this wonderful freedom that He's, um, he's brought for us, but we're not called to settle. It's always tempting to settle, to know that you're saved, that you're free, and to settle down and just enjoy the good thing that God has done for you. But I want to encourage you that God's Word says that the grace of God is there to empower us. The grace of God is there to spur us on to love and good works together, not to laziness, not to selfishness, not to just living our own little lives in our own little way, but getting into the mission that God has for the world to see the world come to Christ. It's a very exciting adventure that we can be, get to partner uh, together with God to see happen. And I want to encourage you too, uh, I'm going to look at this a little bit later, but Hebrews encourages us, it says, don't get out of the habit of meeting together as some have got into the habit of doing. And I want to just honestly say before you this morning that I look at the church in the UK in the 21st century and much of the church in the UK is prayerless, it is um, lukewarm, and God's people have just slipped into this habit where they are motivated more by pleasure and recreation than they are about motivated by loving God's people in covenant community. Honest. That's what I see. And so I want to encourage you, I want to call us all back out of that into a living, passionate relationship with Jesus that works itself out in Christian community sharing our lives together. And I want to put it to you this morning that that's what's going to, going to help this church blossom into the fullness of all that God has for it. And that requires all hands on deck. It requires every member playing their part. It's impossible to run a race, isn't it, on one leg. <laughs> How can you run to win on one leg? You're going to hop to the, what's the finishing line. And the, the Scripture says we are all the body of Christ. And all of the parts need to be working together and all of us need to be meeting together so that we can see the fullness of what God has. And so I want to encourage you I'm not trying to beat up on everyone this morning. I'm trying to encourage you. Let's raise the bar of expectation in our lives that we love meeting together as God's people. And I'm going to give you some key reasons why I believe God has that for us. All right? And, and I'm particularly going to speak about how we view church membership. Not every church views ch church membership in the same way. The seeker-sensitive model of church that we've seen in the last 15 or 20 years has encouraged this, that you, you're just part of this big crowd and you, you, you don't necessarily, because we want to see unsaved people come into the church, you don't get too demanding on what you expect from people because you want people just to fit into this big crowd where we can see people saved. And now there's some truth to that, but I want to give you some key reasons why I believe the Bible says we should join ourselves as members of a covenant community where we open our lives and we work it out with each other. All right? I want to say this to you. It's interesting as you read, when you begin to read about different things. It's always been a struggle for the church to encourage people that the church is the best thing that God has for community. Why do I say that? I want to read something to you written by Cyprian. Cyprian was alive in the third century. He was one of the, the early church fathers. And even for Cyprian, he had to convince people that the church was good for them. 
in the third century. This is not a new problem. It just, uh, it just morphs and changes, and uh, we have to look at it differently. But I, I want to say, it's, for me, it's one of the key things that we have to uh, be honest about in the 21st century. This is what Cyprian said. He, uh, he, he grew up in, uh, he was the Bishop of Carthage, and he was an important Christian writer, and much of his, um, he, he translated out of Latin, uh, and that's mostly what we know him for. But he said this, he said, The spouse of Jesus, the bride of Christ, cannot be adulterous. She is corrupted, uncorrupted, and pure. She knows one home. She keeps us for God. She appoints the sons whom she has born for the kingdom. Whoever is separated from the church and is joined to an adulteress is separated from the promises of the church, nor can he who, who, who forsakes the church of Christ attain to the rewards of Jesus. He is a stranger. He is an enemy. He can no longer have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. It's very powerful what Cyprian is, is, is trying to say. He's trying to call people into a living relationship with each other worked out in Christian community. That's what he's trying to um, call people to. So I want to just define quickly, I've said some of these things before. What, what do I mean by church? Simply this. Church is a Christian word. You do not speak of a Buddhist church or a Jewish church or a Muslim church. They have other words to describe what they do when they get together. It's not primarily speaking about a building either. I've just quoted Cyprian. For the first 300 years of the church, there were no buildings that Christians met in. From the birth of the church in the book of Acts, the word church has always meant a loving, caring, covenant community who love Jesus and love each other. That's what church has always been about. And I dream that this church is increasingly going to become a loving, caring, covenant community that passionately love God with all of their hearts and spur each other on in their relationship with Jesus and passionately love each other. That's what our dream church should be. And so the New Testament uses all these words, doesn't it? A family, a household, a temple, a body, but... The, the, the uh, idea, the theme of, early, of the early church is that it's, the church is a collection of people in a given geography that are committed to Jesus and they are committed to each other. That's what church is. Now there are certain um, few passages in the New Testament that refer to the church as the universal church. When you get saved, you are born into God's universal church. You are joined with believers all over the world and from all time uh, since Jesus came. In that abstract sense, it's the universal church. But most, the overwhelming majority of scriptures that in the New Testament that used to talk about the church are talking about a living community of people in the same geography that are called together, open their hearts to each other, and build together. That's what church is. That's how I'm using the word. And I'm absolutely convinced of church membership. And I want to share something of my story this morning because I wasn't always convinced of church membership. And it's been a journey for me over many, many years. Let me share something of my story. And I say this because I know, I've been, I've been leading church long enough, I know that all of us go through stages in our lives where we are discontent with the local church. And I've been in that place, unhappy with local church. There are various reasons for that. I grew up in a ministry family. I was always in church. <laughs> That's all I knew. 
And I saw from the inside how unpleasant sometimes church can be living in a ministry family. And that did help to foster in, in my own life a discontentment that manifested in my life, particularly in my late teens and early 20s, for the local church. I was irritated thoroughly about how people behaved in the local church. And I'd seen my parents go through some things that I thought, this is just not right. This is supposed to be a, a Christian community. How can this happen? But then, when I went to university, I joined um, an amazing, growing local church. That was thriving. That was fun to be a part of. And at that time, I wasn't honestly thinking about church membership, and I didn't really give it much serious thought. I wasn't thinking about being involved in leading a church. I wasn't thinking about ministry. I was just enjoying the church community. I had some great friends, and we went surfing together, and we ate together, and we worshipped together, and we prayed together. That's what we did. That's what church was. It was just this wonderful collection of people getting on and having fun. Uh, we liked the word organic. That's what we liked, the word organic. The church is organic. It's not organizational. You know? It's just organic. It just grows. and It's just like we just get on together. And so this church grew particularly with disenchanted 20-somethings. Who, uh, some of them had no church background. Some of them had bad church backgrounds. But we all liked this church because it was different. And when I think back on it, um, it's quite strange because it wasn't really all that different. What we did was we worshipped and we preached and we enjoyed each other's friendship. It wasn't that different, but we thought it was different. And so I said to you, there was this kind of language that went with it. Um, we loved saying things like this, the church is organic, it's not organizational. Or we would say things like this, the church really needs to change. You know, it's all about the pastor's ego and money. That's what church really is about. Another favorite. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Got a problem with the church, but I love Jesus. <laughs> My personal favorite. When you organize the church, it loses its power. You ever heard that one? We want a powerful church. So we can't organize things too much because when you organize it, it loses its power. Well, some of those things occasionally resonated with me, and uh, I found it a bit confusing because I was really enjoying this community, this beautiful community. I was, I was thriving, and yet in the church there were people that were saying those kind of things and criticizing the very thing that was bringing life to them. I found it confusing. And I also have to say that probably, uh, if I'm honest, most of my generation, those guys that I was growing up, did have a problem with authority and did have a problem with commitment. And so it suited us to speak about organic church. Fast forward 10 years. I'm now in my early 30s. I'm part of a leadership team on, in a large church, leading worship on the eldership team, preaching. And uh, I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't leading the church. I didn't have the last responsibility for that. But I was just enjoying being part of a, a bigger church. And I still hadn't resolved how I saw church membership. I was quite happy to coast and... and uh, and fence it a little bit. Fast forward another uh, 10 years, we arrive here in, the, in 2000 to plant this church, and suddenly something's crystallized for me as I had to take responsibility for my own congregation and lead it, and suddenly how I viewed membership suddenly began to get lots of focus very quickly. And so I'm trying to say this to you because I have arrived at this place not over one or two years, but over 25 years, thinking about this 
and seeing God do some stuff in my life. And this is the key scripture for me that has absolutely convinced me of why God wants us to join as members of a local church and to verbalize that and to say, I'm in. This is it. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. There's two words people don't like. Straight up. Obedience, submission. Don't like that. Okay, well, we'll just put that in parenthesis right now. If that offends you, we'll get over it as well. All right, yeah. For they are to keep watch over you as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, <laughs> for that would not be of any advantage to you. This scripture raises a couple of key questions. This scripture has convinced me to get off the fence and to make up my mind, which I have done. I want to say these are the two fundamental questions that it raise, raises for me. First, if there's no biblical membership requirement to belong to a local church, I want to ask you then, which leaders do you submit to? Which ones? I'll try and answer that just now. Second, if I am to give account for, as a pastor for some people, and there's no requirement of biblical church membership, who do I give an account for as a church leader, as a pastor? Well, let me just look at those two questions in, in, in order. Hebrews 13, 1 Timothy 5, 17 clearly command that Christians should give themselves willingly and be part of a church and honor an eldership body. Pastors, the, word, the, the, the biblical word is three words, poimen, uh, presbyteros, and um, I forget, but it's basically three words for elder, bishop, and shepherd, same word. So I put it to you, if there's no understanding of this local church membership thing, then who are to we su submit to and obey? Are we to submit to and obey to anyone who calls themselves an elder? So for example, any of the, if you live in St. Albans, any of the churches in St. Albans or London uh, where they have elders, are we called to submit to any of those guys, those people? Or is it only those that have got big churches that we submit to? So we submit to uh, HTB because, I mean, Nicky Gumbel's a good guy and, I mean, he's an elder. And so we, let's submit to Nicky Gumbel or, or Hillsong because they really got a lot of people. So let's submit to their local church, their, their eldership. Or your favorite pa internet pastor, your favorite preacher, Bill Johnson. Should we submit to Bill Johnson? Oh, well, I have to say, of course not. I don't believe that this, you might not know any of those names. That's okay. Everyone has their favorite names, all right? Or what about submitting to the weirdos? There are lots of weirdos, weird Christians. What about the weirdos from Westboro Baptist Church? Have you heard of those guys? Who put up picket fences and say that God hates people that are, are homosexual and uh, anyone who's been to the army in the, in the United States shouldn't be welcome in, 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 the, in any church and stuff like that. They're weird. Do, do we submit to them because they're also elders? No, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm in a naughty way trying to get you to think that that's obviously not what the Bible is saying. Secondly, the Scripture clearly commands this elder body, to care for certain people. I can give you scripture, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20, 29. Will I, as a pastor, be accountable for all the Christians in St. Albans? 
Because there are, quite frankly, there are some churches that I have some theological differences. I have some philosophical differences on churchmanship and how we do church. Do I give an account for all of those Christians? For what they teach, how they do their small groups, how they do their outreach, how they spend their money? Do I give an account as a pastor? No, of course not. It can only be in a local context where a group of people have committed themselves to each other and saying, yeah, I want you to speak into my life and I'm asking you to speak into my life. So that's the first question. It has to do with authority, how authority works in the church. The second question that it raises for me is church discipline. And I see it all over the Scripture, but in particular, 1 Corinthians 5, you know the story? There's a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law in the church. And Paul confronts the church in Corinth, and they're, kind of, they're happy with that. They seem to, oh, it's not a problem, he's sleeping with his mother-in-law. And Paul says, you are out of your mind. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely strong with him. He says, what is this? You are abusing the grace of God. The grace of, don't call that God's grace. That's not God's grace at all. And he says, that kind of wickedness needs to be dealt with. Get the guy out of the church. And he says, hand him over for the destruction of his flesh and hopefully the salvation of his soul. I mean, Paul is very, very strong with this guy. And in verse 11, this is what he says, I am now writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, in other words, someone who calls himself a Jesus follower, if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, a drunkard, a swindler, don't even eat with such a person. And this is the clincher. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? That's what Paul says. We have nothing to do with judging people outside of the church. That's, that's amazing to me. Sometimes Christians are more concerned with people outside of the church than they are with people inside of the church. Don't worry about people outside of the church. You're not to judge them. You're to love them. That's what Paul's saying. But those inside of the church, he says, those are the ones you're going to hold to account. That's what Paul is saying. And it's been my regrettable experience that very few churches practice church discipline. There have been a number of times that I've had to do that. I've had to say to someone, on the basis of your sexual content, uh, uh, conduct, you cannot be a, a member of this church anymore. Please leave. You are unrepentant. You will not change. Please leave. And I've had some few people very angry with me. How dare I say they can't be part of the church? Well, I say you can't be part of the church because you're not repentant. And on this thing, it's quite clear. But here's my point. <laughs> here's my point. And if you're visiting this morning, you didn't get a... You're not, unfortunately, it's not a feel-good sermon today, all right? It's not one of those mushy ones. <laughs> my point is this. How can you kick someone out of the church and discipline someone out of the church if they've never verbalized that they are in the church? You don't even know they're in their church. That's why I have a problem with mass kind of congregational church where you don't really know anyone and they don't really know you. And how can you open your heart? And how can they say, well, on this thing you need to change? You hear my point? And so this was a key moment for me in terms of my own discipleship and that's why I've landed where I have. And I'm, I am preaching with the end in mind that I'm hoping by the end of this um, message that if you are part of this church and you've never verbalized to me and to the leadership team that you want to be a member, that you will do it so that we know that you are in. <laughs> and here is eight proofs 
further proof. If those three proofs are not enough for you, I want to give you another eight. Why become a member? Well, I want to say to you, the first proof from the Scripture for me is because the church is precious to Jesus. It is so precious to Jesus. It's the thing that He came to birth. It's the thing that He came to give His life for. It is incredibly precious to Jesus. And surely His church, the local congregations that we see, should be precious to us. I'm not saying we're the only church. There are many, many churches that are doing this. But surely God is saying, if you, if you, if you love my son, you will love my people. It's so precious to me. And you will commit yourself in relationship to one church somewhere with all of your heart. If it's not this one, I don't mind, but go and commit yourself somewhere and work it out. One of the great promises that Jesus gave us as a, as a local church is that He would set the lonely in families. I love that. God promised that to us. It's a brilliant promise. And yet I see in our culture a negative, suspicious view of relationship. Oh, you want to control me? There's a phobia that if we can't even commit to something that's good and biblical because we'll miss out on something that's even better. <laughs> if I commit to you, then I'm missing out on something better somewhere else. Keep my options open. I want to say it's just rampant individualism in our culture. And that's one of the things that uh, we have to consciously fight. You know, why depend on anyone else when you can do it yourself? Why get involved with any group that just wants to control you, make things complicated? Well, I don't want to control you. I want Jesus to be your master. I want you to walk with Him. I'm going to do my best to point in everything to Jesus that you will hear the voice of the Spirit for yourself. But at the same time, that you'll commit yourself to another group of people. Because for me, the most wonderful part of church is also that you are helping to disciple other people. That you're not in just in it for yourself or what you can get, but what you can sow into someone else's life. And we'll look at that a little bit more. But you could put all these tendencies together in our culture. We get a, a culture that's hostile to New Testament Christianity, and it's certainly not comfortable with uh, becoming a member because that does involve authority and uh, admitting that there's some authority, and it does involve submitting to that authority. Uh, you know, and then some say, well, you know, isn't the fact that you're saved enough? You know, uh, Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, he got saved. Wasn't that enough? He was baptized. Wasn't that enough? He was added to the universal church immediately. Isn't that enough? Well, I'm trying to convince you, no, I don't think it is according to the Scripture. And I'm fully convinced that belonging to a local church family, being a member of a church family, is a vital and key step in bringing revival to a community, in evangelizing the nation. In, I'm fully convinced that God wants every Jesus follower to be fully, passionately committed themselves to a local church family. And I've said this before, I want to say it again. Some of the most beautiful, long-lasting friendships I've enjoyed are with people in the church. People get saved. I've seen people as children grow up, get saved, marry, have their own kids. It's a beautiful thing. I've had the privilege of walking on the Great Wall of China, of drinking uh, mare's milk in, in, uh, in Mongolia, of... Uh, Meeting, literally, I've been to every continent of the world preaching the gospel, and that's an incredible privilege of being part of the body of Christ. And I've had the joy of helping families that have lost their children through drug addictions, through accidents, through tragedy, through disease, through murder, violence, 
See, the church is such a beautiful, messy bride. What, a, what an amazing thing the church is. And that's why we belong, because it matters so much to Jesus. He's coming back for this bride, this passionate community. It's the most important thing to Him. That's the first proof. Second proof. I've kind of said it already. Let me just say it again. Joining a church is part of authentic conversion. Authentic conversion. What is our little tagline? Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in love. That really captures, in essence, what authentic New Testament Christianity is. Uh, our friend Greg Downs, who came um, a number of years ago, preached a wonderful message. You can get it on the podcast called The Three C's of Conversion. And in it, he challenged us to say that we are converted to Christ, we are converted to the church, that is the community, and we are converted to the cause of Christ, which is his mission to the world. Those three things working together are authentic, are proof of that we are saved, that our conversion is authentic. And if one of those things is missing, there's something that is deficient. It's not biblical. And so I put it to you quite bluntly that you cannot love Jesus without loving the church community. Bluntly. And if you don't like me, I don't care. Well, I do care, but I don't care. I like to be liked. That's my problem. I want everyone to like me. You see, you can't love Jesus without taking the same message of the gospel that's transformed your life and declaring it boldly to other people so that they can enjoy the same freedom. This is part of authentic conversion. And so I want to put it to you, I'm trying to call you out of this this morning, that there are, there are many in the church that would call themselves followers of Jesus that view the church as an addition. Uh, well, if, it's not, if there's no... If there's no sport on Sunday morning, or the sun is shining and I want to go for a walk with my dog, well, that takes preference over church this morning. I want to call you out of that lukewarmness, because <laughs> that's essentially what it is, guys. And how can the church help? Well, the church can help by having two services on a Sunday, one in the morning, one in the evening. We can certainly help like that, but we're going to do launch an evening meeting in April to try and help people who are working in the morning or whatever. Absolutely. But an attitude that says, well, really, mm, there's movies this morning, there's working, walking the dog, there's, there's the cricket that I'd like to watch. I could record it, but I'd like to watch. And God's people, they are really right at the bottom of my list. That's what I'm talking about. That attitude that pervades much of the church. I want to call you out of that. I want to... I want to encourage you, spit it out of your mouth because it's lukewarmness. Rather that you be hot or cold, not insipid. <laughs> well, I might have had some friends at the beginning, but I don't think I'll have many friends at the end. Okay, so part of joining this, uh, the body of Christ, part of, of, being ex of, of, of having this... Uh, transformed grace beating on the inside of us is that we take care of each other. We share responsibility of caring for all of God's sons and daughters in the local church in a specific house. So I'm not saying that joining a church saves you. It doesn't. Any more than your works save you. And we know that our works don't save us. But certainly it's a sign that you are saved. And so I want to encourage you with that in terms of the second thing. This is what um, uh, Jesus says 
in 1 John 4. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so my encouragement to you this morning is that we join hands together so that we can be known each by each other in the church community. We can't live this Christian life on our own. There's a covenant that happens as we open our hearts to each other and we stop being selfish and we allow someone to say, actually, Joel, that was not good. <laughs> Don't, let me help you. Don't do that again. And then Ed can say to me, this is in my life group, so that's why I can pick on them. And then Ed can say to me, and that was not good. Don't do that again. Let me help you. Do you think I'm above being corrected? Because I lead the church. No, God corrects me all the time. My wife corrects me a lot of the time. <laughs> My friends correct me some of the time. I'm not saying I'm above all of this. No, this is how it works for all of us. We are iron sharpening iron. We are helping each other. We are linking arms together. We're saying, no, that's not good for you. That's, that's, that skill in your life. Get, let me, let's help each other. Are you with me? And so, I want to say to you that following Jesus fundamentally involves how you treat other people, especially those who are members of the, your local church family. Have I covenant together to love them? Do I give myself to do that? And I'm putting it to you, it's not just about you. It's not just about those that you're trying to reach with the gospel. It's also part of this is you becoming part of a community to help make disciples of those that are already saved. And saying, oh, I don't want to join a, ch a church family is a bit like saying, I'm going to sail my own boat in my own little way and I don't give two hoots about anybody else. That's really what it's like. And that's not what God has called us to. Selfishness, God has not called us to selfishness. He's called us to covenant community loving each other. It's fundamentally different. So I put it to you, picking and choosing where you might go to worship or going between churches based on the sermons that you like or your favorite internet preacher or the worship that style that you like. Uh, it's a selfish, consumerist view of Christianity and selfishness has never been a reflection on the heart of God, ever. And so I'm fully convinced that belonging to a local church, being a member, is not an add-on to true membership of the universal church. It's a testimony of our, our uh, membership of the universal church. Thirdly, I've said, I said it already. Are you okay, my darling? You're looking worried. Okay. Look, they'll still like you. It's okay. <laughs> Joining a church family shows us love for Jesus and His people. When we join a church family, it shows our love for Jesus and His people. How many of you that have been married know this? That great love cannot always be spontaneous. Have you ever noticed that in marriage? <laughs> great love in marriage is not always spontaneous. We would like it to be. We would like our relationships to be free and just like always spontaneous and feel good and, and all wonderful. And if you've been married for more than two minutes, you know that sometimes in marriage it's just not like that, is it? It's not like that. There is a sense that there's something much deeper than spontaneity that is expressed through covenant. It's, it's expressed through Helen saying, come hell or high water, perhaps not, that's not the best word to use, but I am committed to you, aunt, and that's it. Even when you irritate me, which is quite often, I'm committed to you. There's covenant. It's much deeper than spontaneity. 
And, and this is what Jesus is saying, that same covenant should be involved in our hearts when we relate to each other in the local church. Phil, I'm committed to you even when you irritate me. And I hope you are committed to me when I irritate you. Phil's one of our trustees, so I can say that. No, he doesn't irritate me, but I'm just using it as an example. That's why I'm digging a big hole this morning. That's why um, Ephesians 5.25, you know this language well. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Man, when I read that, I'm absolutely terrified. That's what Jesus says to me as a husband. Love your wife as Jesus loved the church. Man, that is a high bar. What did Jesus do for his church? He died for his church. He gave his life for his church. He, 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 it was the highest call of his life. That's what Jesus is saying I need to have for my wife. Love her in the same way. Man, if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what does. And the church was so valuable that Jesus bought it with his own blood. And uh, Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourself, to the, all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you a bishop and overseer to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. There it is. And so what we're called to do as church members really is what we, all, all Christians really should, are called to do. We're to be baptized, break bread together, hear God's word, obey it. We're to meet together regularly for fellowship, for mutual encouragement. We're to love God. We're to love one another. We love those outside of the church family so that the kingdom can come, that revival can come, and we especially to take care of those inside the church family. Galatians 5. We've talked about that a lot. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Proof number four. It'll be another ten minutes. Joining a church family is a sign that we are becoming disciples. We are becoming disciples. I've made a point of not calling myself a Christian anymore because there are so many people that say they are Christians. It doesn't mean they are a Jesus follower. It just means they're not an atheist. It just means they're not uh, Jewish. It just means they are not Muslim. They are Christian. No, I am a Jesus follower. And so I'm saying to you this morning... If you are not a Jesus follower, if you don't yet know Jesus, don't even think about joining a church, becoming a member of a church, because you have to be saved to be a member of a church. But I would encourage you with all of my heart that being part of a church community, even if you are not saved, is the best way for you to understand and learn more about what it means to be a Christian. So if you don't know what it means to be a Christian, well, belong to a church community and find out. But for all of you this morning that are saved, all of you that are followers of Jesus, I would ask you this morning this question. What does it mean to live the Christian life? Is it really just a question of our individual convictions, our spiritual disciplines, that are, you know, my, my devotional life? Is that all that we give ourselves to? What I want to put to you, if, if we're honest and we are faithful to our spouses, we can believe certain things, that all needs to be in place. But is that all that it means to be a Christian? I hope you would say no. I hope you would, you would join me to say resoundingly no, because I'm convinced that there's much more to living a Christian life than just me and my life. It includes massively living for others. 
By definition, the Christian life is other-centered. God so loved Himself that He sent His Son. Is that what the word says? No. God so loved the world that He sent His Son. There's an other-centeredness in God that should be on the inside of all of us. We love others. That's why we give ourselves. And so I want to put it to you this morning that the church is for everyone. And we are working really hard to try and make this community a church for everyone. Not just one kind of person. Not just one racial group. Not just one economic subculture. The church is for everyone. We are committed to becoming a multicultural, multi-generational group of friends who gather together to worship Jesus and to care for each other and to love each other. We are committed to becoming disciples of Jesus. We are committed to seeing this community, the city in which we live, this nation in which we live, transformed as much as we can add to that transformation. That is the dream that we have for this church. Every tribe, every people group, every economic persuasion. Why? Because the church is for everyone. Tim Keller said this, if you're never able to live for more than your pocketbook, your stomach, and your career, you will never be able to be a blessing to those around you. Can I say it again? If you, are, if you are never able to live for more than your pocketbook, your stomach, and your career, then you will never be able to be a blessing to those around you. We want to be a blessing to those around us. Proof number five. Joining a church family is a primary means of evangelizing the world. There are so many that are lost and broken and hurting, part of this community in which we live and part of the world in which we live. And we can better speak the pre and preach the good news together than we can individually. By definition, church is missional. It is about the king's business. We're about Jesus' business for the sake of, of his kingdom. And we are called to live that out by preaching the good news, by caring for the poor. And that's how God becomes visible to other people. That's how they can see the, about the Lord in, which we, in whom we believe. Proof number six, I'm going quickly now. Joining a church family helps us to learn and demonstrate the true gospel. I've said this before, let me say it again. I want you to be so familiar with the gospel in your own life that when you taste anything that is not the gospel, you will spit it out of your mouth. That you will know what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, that you're called to be free. That you will not allow anyone from any walk of life to put legalism on you and get you to do stuff that you don't want to do because you are free in Christ. And uh, when we openly live our lives before each other, we show what the Christianity really is. is. And most, most uh, non-Christians think that Christians are really annoyingly self-righteous people who worry about uh, other people having fun. And that's what they think Christians are. And actually, how do you dispel that? Well, you, you show it. You demonstrate that's not what Christians believe. And how do you demonstrate that? You work it out in community. And so, proof number seven, joining, being a member of a church family helps us to build up other believers. And I've spoken about this. I'm not going to take long. I just want to say, if you messed up this morning, welcome to the family. We are all messed up here. All right? If you've got problems, welcome. Why? Because we've all got problems. Belonging to a church family means that we can get help for our problems. Some have problems with anger, guilt, gossip, 
alcohol, other addictions. You see, this is what a church family does. Church family helps you to work through your problems. We all messed up in some way, but Jesus, the good news is, Jesus is fixing us up. And Jesus is doing that by the power of His Spirit on the inside of us and through others that help us and love us. And so perhaps you're going through a discouraging time in your life. Well, I want to say, if that's the case, let someone else encourage you and join arms together with you and help you as you walk through your life. That's what church community is. Personal growth is a matter for the whole church, for every individual as we join hands together. So, I'm asking you this morning, are you communicating to this local church that we can depend on you? To serve together, to encourage each other, to commit, to pray together, to, to give, to preserve unity in the church, to pray. Can we count on you? See, there's a godly sense of ownership that comes when you say yes. We own the work of the church we own the work of the gospel. We own the community of the church. Other people's problems become my problems. We own the budget. We own the sense of how the thing is going forward. We own the vision. We own the goals. It's ours. It's not just Ant and Helen's thing. It's our thing. That's community. So we move, when that begins to bubble in our hearts, we move away from becoming consumers towards being stewards of God's church. We move, we move away from viewing membership as a loose affiliation where I come when I feel like it to becoming a joyful responsibility that we are fully involved in, not for my sake, but for the sake of Jesus and His kingdom and the gospel. And uh, I find that we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts, but just by way of introduction. Um, it's fascinating. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this. He says, what are the gifts for? The spiritual gifts, all the stuff we like, prophecy, all that stuff. The spiritual gifts, what are they for? They are there to build up the local church, build up the saints, 1 Corinthians 14. Even the gifts are there, not just for me and my little life, but for us together, the community, to build the church, to help others. That's what the gifts are there for. And what an incredible privilege. So I want to be, ask you to be brave this morning. Be brave. And ask yourself some hard questions, as I've asked myself. Do I actually love the people of this church? Do I love this family? Do I feel positive towards them? Do I actively engage? Do I actively give myself? Do I love practically with my hands, with my words, with my money, with my prayer? Do I help those that are feeling weak? Am I a person that people want to say, I know I can depend on Ant when I'm weak. I can go to him. He's not going to push me away. He's going to say, yes, I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. I'll help you. That's what it means to belong to a local church community. That we can study the Word, we can worship, we can pray, we can intercede. These are brilliant things. But more than this, we can encourage. How many of you need encouragement in your life? I've told you openly, I need encouragement on a Monday morning. That's why John says this, 1 John 3, 18. Dear children, let us not just love one another with our tongues but with action as well. I'm finishing now. The title of my message is We Glorify God in Church Membership, and that's my last point. 
You should join a local church because it glorifies God. That's why. It brings glory to Him. The way that we live brings glory to God. That's what Peter said, 1 Peter 2. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might, might see your good deeds and glorify God. Jesus said the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It is all about God getting glory. It really does matter how we live. It does matter that God gets glory out of our lives. And it does apply to our life individually, but also together as Christians. Remember the simplicity of John 13, a new commandment I give to you. You should be able to quote this because this is our favorite um, Sunday school verses all the time, isn't it? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you're also to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus said, I'll build my church. That's what he's passionate about. That's what we should be passionate about. And I've shared open youth this morning. I've been frustrated with the local church at different points in my life. Can I encourage you, if you are frustrated with the local church, don't remain there. <laughs> don't remain in a place of frustration. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Let Him soften you from the inside so you can love God's people. Why? Because we're going to be together forever in eternity one day. <laughs> we're going to be together forever. <laughs> and so don't remain in a place of frustration don't it's not good for you love God's church you're adopted into his family your sons and daughters of the most high king so if you're a member of this church I want to ask you this morning if you see yourself as a member can we depend on you will you join hands as part of the family will you open your heart to everyone in the family can this family depend on you to pray to serve to love to give your money to own the vision of the church. Why? So we can see many saved and come to faith in Jesus. And so, I'm asking you, we are going to do the grounded course for new people this morning after the meeting, but I, I want to ask you to reaffirm your love for this church family. And if you're visiting, please, this is not for you. If you are committed here, I want to ask you to reaffirm your love for this church family. And we're going to do that by standing together. And honestly, in my heart, there's no pressure. But if you, if, if you can say, I'm in to pray, to serve, to love, to open myself, to be a friend to others, to, to do all I can to preserve unity in terms of what God has for this community, I want to ask you to stand. And we're going to pray. And don't worry about anyone else. You just close your eyes and stand, all right? My eyes are closed right now, so I'm not looking at anyone. And we're going to pray together. Let's lift our hands. We're just going to ask God. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask us that you would give us all that we need to do all that you've called us to do. I want to thank you for every single person, the beautiful community that you're building here, every single one that you're adding to this community. I say thank you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I've done my best this morning to try and paint a picture from your word about what church is and why we should belong to it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you bring life to those words. I pray, Lord, that we would be those that, uh, as we are standing now, to say, yes, we are in. Yes, we want to build here. Yes, Lord, we want to open our hearts to each other. Lord, I pray that you would give us the power to do that through your Holy Spirit. It is impossible apart from you to love like that, Jesus. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd come, that you would empower us by your grace, that we can love each other from the heart in the way that you want us to love each other, that we can be a blessing to everyone in this community and to the, 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 those around us because of the love that beats in our hearts for what you are doing. And so I simply ask, Jesus, come and do it inside of us. And we stand this morning with joyful hearts, knowing that you have done an amazing thing in our lives. We're so grateful for the cross, for every good thing that you've poured out on us. And now we ask you, Lord, that same power would help us to love each other. And we ask that in Jesus' precious name.